All right, today we're going to think about the disposable culture. The disposable culture. I want you to just consider something many of us use every day. The common printer. Uh, you probably know this. Printer manufacturers lose money on printers, right? Did you know that? They, they actually lose quite a bit of money on every single unit sold. Why would they do that? So that they can rake in the big bucks on the very expensive disposable ink cartridges. You know, for a while, there were, there were stores that would do ink refills, uh, and they were considerably less expensive than just buying whole new cartridges. But, but all those stores have closed down. Do you know why? Because we want it that way. We want it that way. We have swallowed wholesale the throwaway lifestyle. Think about this. Where are the tailors? Where, where are the cobblers, the appliance repair shops? You live in a culture where things are not made to last, right? So wouldn't you expect that the, the repair shops of former days, which used to flourish in America, wouldn't you expect that the repair shops would be, would be flourishing now? They'd be doing really well. But they're not, Right? Repair shops are, are tiny, dead, or dying. Again, do you know why? It's because we want it that way. You and I don't want to mess with repairing worn or broken down things. The result of this disposable outlook is that you and I settle for less efficiency, higher costs, and the long-term ill effects of waste, personally and as a culture. And nowhere is this trend more dangerous than in our relationships. What we call modern culture has many wonderful things that hopefully will be remembered, but I fear, I must tell you, I think that the time period you and I call modern culture will be most remembered for disposability. This era will be, will be noted for no-fault divorce, for the emptiness of the hookup culture, for abortion, for abandonment of friends, animals, churches, vendors for little or no reason at all. And of course, you and I sit here and we hear that and we think that only applies to other people, right? We tell ourselves that if we end a relationship, it must be for a very good reason. I suggest you take a very deep breath because I'm going to tell you something you need to hear but probably don't want to. The practices of our lives are littered with the sick refuse that emerges from people who have digested whole the idea of a disposable culture. Friends, there may never be a Bible study you need more than this one. We are damning our relationships because you and I have ignored, our culture has ignored one of the most important commands ever uttered. And it's only two words long, only two words long. Love hesed. Love hesed. Open your Bible, if you would, to Micah chapter 6, verse 8, and we'll read it together. Micah, uh, near the end of your Old Testament in the Minor Prophets, just before Nahum and Habakkuk, right after Obadiah and Jonah, Micah chapter 6, verse 8, <clears throat> pardon me, tells us this. Mankind, he has told you what is good. And what it is the Lord requires of you to act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. Love faithfulness. You see that? Look up here. It's the Hebrew word hesed. We are to love hesed. It's your fancy new word for today, men and women, boys and girls. On the count of three, you all get to say hesed. One, two, three. Hesed. Very good. Some of you have heard it before. It's a wonderful term. Before we dive into it, look in your notes. You'll see that we need to get a little bit of background context. You got a bulletin when you came in. Look in that. On the left-hand side, you'll see this note. We set the stage with some background on God's instruction here. To grasp the power of these two words, we need to understand that in Micah's day, Israel was treating people as consumable objects. Israel was treating people as objects. Our current modern struggles with disloyalty are nothing new Modern Western culture is like the Chick-fil-A uh, slogan, right? We didn't invent throwaway living, we just perfected it, right? It's been going on for centuries. And like all of Israel's prophets, Micah is especially bothered about human waste. 
No, not that kind of waste. Although what bothers the prophets smells worse. Um, the prophets are troubled with the waste of human lives. Look, look here, Micah chapter 3, uh, verses 2 and 3. You hate good and love evil. You tear off people's skin, strip their flesh from their bones. You eat the flesh of my people. After you strip their skin from them and break up their bones, you chop them up like flesh for the cooking pot, like meat in a cauldron. Now, this is addressed to the leaders of Israel, and it is not a flattering depiction. This is hyperbole, but it reveals that the Israeli leaders had an incredibly low view of other human beings. Humans are nothing but fodder for my personal appetite. By the way, you find this same scandalous attitude exposed by other prophets. Uh, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Zephaniah all talk about this. And we read this, and all we can think is, thank goodness, we are not like that. Right? Oh, but we are. When people are reduced to objects, you know what we're doing? We're chopping them up for our consumption. That's what's really going on when we see human beings as trophies or eye candy. When, when we raid other departments to make our business group larger, let's be honest, we're usually doing so just to feed our own ego. It's not really done for the good of those employees. It's not done for the good of the company. It's done to feed myself. Micah 3, Israel's leaders are representative of all the country, and it is the norm, this disposable attitude toward human beings made in God's image. And this mistreatment of people is expressed in other ways. Go, go back to Micah chapter 6 and look at verses 11 and 12. Micah 6, 11 and 12. God is speaking. Can I excuse wicked scales or bags of deceptive weights? For the wealthy of the city are full of violence, and its residents speak lies. The tongues in their mouths are deceitful. This first came home to me a few years ago. Janet and I were in Jordan, the country of Jordan, and she wanted to buy some rare spices there. And uh, not rare there, but rare here. And we were purchasing these spices, and the guy running the little shop in Jordan, the only way he had to determine what we owed was, was a set of scales, a balanced scale, and some standardized weights that figured out how much it weighed and thus how much we owed. Now, his scale was, was accurate, and his weights seemed to be fair. But I looked at that, and I thought, oh, my goodness, how tempting must it be? to just take your standardized weights and just, just scrape a little, you know, just scrape a little out of that, a little off, so that you can get a little bit more profit out of every customer, just cheat them just a little bit. Notice the parallelism in your text. That kind of cheating is based on a violent attitude, says God, toward other people. Lying is the same thing. All deceit does violence to humans. Now, what's amazingly deep about Micah is that he here builds on a universal truism. Most people don't consciously, you know this, right? Most people don't consciously set out to harm other people. We, we tear and harm other people when we see them as objects. For instance, there's no repercussion if I punch my pillow in frustration, right? But when someone does that to a person, we all recoil. That's horrible. Thus, what's required for violence is to objectify the human being. I need to label them as customers instead of people made in God's image. I need to see them as other, enemy, problem, inhuman, mistake, fetus. You see, that, that lie of what they are, that objectivization, guides me into injustice and violence. That's why there can never be any real justice without biblically founded truth. Benjamin Disraeli, often prime minister for Queen Victoria, he gave a fascinating speech. Uh, the date was uh, February 11, 1851. He was fighting against some really unjust laws in England. These, these laws, let me just summarize them this way. They were treating the British farmer as an object, okay? And, and in his speech against these unfair taxes, Disraeli said this, brilliant line. He said, justice is truth in action. Justice is truth in action. God wants that. 
He wants justice based on truth that is lived out. And the truth is the Lord loves every single human and he expects each life to be treated with honor. All God's people said? Now, wonderfully, Micah doesn't leave us in that sorry state of objectified humanity. He also relates God's ultimate solution, and his ultimate solution is the Messiah. It is the Messiah who brings honor to all of humanity. God gets very specific about the Messiah through Micah's prophecy. In Micah, we learn the Messiah is going to come from a little town called Bethlehem. Um, Go to Micah chapter 5, Micah 5, verse 2, Bethlehem Ephrathah. You're small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from eternity. This is an eternal being. Uh, Go to verse 4. He will stand and shepherd them in the strength of Yahweh, in the majestic name of Yahweh his God. They will live securely, for then his greatness will extend to the ends of the earth. Micah 2.13 tells us what this Messiah is going to do for people. Look, one who breaks open the way will advance before them. They will break out. They will pass through the gate and leave by it. Their king, this Messiah, will pass through before them. And look at this. Look at this. This Messiah is God. Look what he's called. Yahweh. That's God. Yahweh, the Lord, as their leader. How can people ever be free of this broken world and its unjust objectification, its disposable, deceitful attitude? By following the king, the Messiah, who is Lord Yahweh, the one who makes a way when there seems to be no way. And Messiah's contemporary, Isaiah, he described how the Messiah is going to break us out of our default lives of sin. Look what Isaiah says. Isaiah 53, verse 6. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Talking about Messiah. The Gospels go on to describe how how Jesus was born in Bethlehem, fulfilled this prophecy. How Messiah Jesus suffered for our sins, fulfilled the prophecy. As Rabbi, as Rabbi Paul summarizes in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Amen? Yes. Now, one more thing Micah wants us to notice about this Messiah. He is a God of hesed. Chapter 7, uh, verse 18. Who is a God like you? removing iniquity and passing over rebellion for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not hold on to his anger forever because he delights in faithful love. The Hebrew word is what, everybody? Hesed. Verse 19, he will again have compassion on us. He will vanish our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show loyalty to Jacob and faithful love to Abraham as you swore to our fathers from days long ago. The key term is repeated. Look, Verse 18, verse 20, God speaks through Micah about his hesed. Now, we'll define hesed in just a moment, but note this first. The Messiah brings hesed, and what he brings is the opposite of the disposable culture. All right, here's a quick recap of our historical and theological background for today. Israel treats people as consumable objects. God offers the only true solution to this pervasive problem. The only true solution is his Messiah. And in response, God calls us to love Hesed. That's what the Messiah embodies. He embodies Hesed. We're to grow up in him and love Hesed the way he does. Now that we understand the commanding context, please look to the right side of our notes and let's try best to figure out what Hesed means. What does it mean? Here's what I wrote in my own notes. As I was preparing for this study, here's what I wrote. I was just on my own and I wrote, I wrote this. I seem, there we go. God's short formula for goodness in Micah 6.8 includes loving hesed. In my opinion, the most remarkable word ever coined in any language, ever. 
though translated faithfulness, mercy, or kindness. Hesed is none of those. It's a sense of all of them with an added conviction of moral obligation. It is a word that opens a brilliant window, window into the very character of God. Hesed is loyal, loving kindness that will not die. This is what I'm called to love. Close quote. We're supposed to love that, hesed, but we find it tough to do so because, as we said earlier, we are trapped in a disposable-minded world of entropy. We, we are trained to treat human beings as consumable objects, relationships as mere recycling fodder. This was brought graphically home to me this week when I read the story of a baby abandoned in a convenience store bathroom in a town very near to here. Talk about literary images. I read that story and I was just struck by, th think, a convenience store. The baby was left between a sink, a place to wash your hands of something, and a toilet. What a, what a telling place to abandon a relationship. And while we all wag our heads at that horrible story, we must admit that by nature, all of us are prone to value our own convenience over hesed toward others. We are. Just listen to yourself on your commute. It proves it. The other people are never people, right? They're idiots. They're Sunday drivers. They're fools. They're just cars. They are objects. The only solution for my default setting of consuming people is the change that is wrought in my life by God's Messiah. Re read with me. Great summary here. Micah chapter 7, verse 9. Let's all read it together. He will bring me into the light. I will see his salvation. And what is this light into which we are brought? It's what, it's what we read earlier in Micah 7, uh, 18. Read it with me. You take the underlined text. Who is a God like you, removing iniquity and passing over rebellion for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not hold on to his anger forever because he delights in hesed. Amen. He delights in hesed. And as long as we're saying things together, let's try one more time to memorize our verse for this series, our annual vision for the year. Everybody together, Micah 6, 8. Mankind, he has told you what is good and what it is the Lord requires of you to act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. Well done. Now, I was discussing all of this with a friend of mine, and he asked a really practical question, a great question. I liked it so much I placed it in your notes. Uh, he said, Wayne, what are some particularly vulnerable points, points in our lives where we are most in danger of not loving hesed? That's a great question. I came up with three answers. You may find more. Feel free to write me about them. I'd love to hear them. Here's what I found. Number one on my list, we are greatly at risk of violating our call to hesed during life transitions. Uh, transitions are stressful. You know what stress does. It makes us more self-concerned and less focused on our engagements with other people. Now, self-preservation is not all bad. You do realize self-preservation is part and parcel of being made in the image of a self-existent God. But self-preservation is debilitating when we forget that we are held in hesed. We're held in loyal love by that God. And he empowers us to extend that same hesed to others. Life transitions tend to stress us so that we forget that hesed. That's, that's, why, that's why teenagers can be so fickle in their relationships as their bodies are transitioning. It's why married couples can pull apart when the kids leave. One of the finest warnings about this I've ever seen came from a Christian songwriter named Wayne Watson. I want you to look at the lyrics to his beautiful song, Watercolor Ponies. He wrote this. There are watercolor ponies on my refrigerator door in the shape of something I don't really recognize. 
brushed with careful little fingers and put proudly on display, a reminder to us all of how time flies. But baby, what will we do when it comes back to me and you? They look a little less like little boys every day. Oh, the pleasure of watching the children growing is mixed with a bitter cup of knowing the watercolor ponies will one day ride away. Do you see the danger of hesed during life transitions? Look at it. Baby, what will we do? Horribly, I can tell you what he did. Ten years after that song was penned, Mr. Watson abandoned his wife and broke the hearts of his sons. I cried with one of them over the horror of what his father had done. People struggle with holding on to Hesed when things change. We see this in churches all the time. Anytime there is a major change, even a positive change, it, it shakes people's commitment. Our staff was recently discussing a brilliant article that described, get this, how often people leave their church whenever they step down from a ministry position, whenever they stop serving in a, in a ministry team. The numbers were astounding. Get this. Over 50% of people leave their church home when their particular ministry, their volunteer position in the church, is completed or changes. And the exit surveys show that they're not troubled by any scriptural problem. It's not heresy or evil. The most popular answer was this, I don't know why, it's just time for a change. And, and, and it may be. Change is fine unless by change I mean abandon hesed. This is universal, friends. Look at this. Um, during life transitions, we tend to reject Hesed. We forget it. I got this note recently from a friend. She wrote me and said, Wayne, our local quilt guild is 17 years old. It's had 11 presidents. Of those 11, zero currently hold a volunteer position within the group, and only five are still members. Maybe. I find this curious. Being one of the past presidents myself, I have worked hard to stay involved, but I find nature conspiring against me. Not sure why that is. Close quote. It's because of the wretched way humans handle transitions. That's why. Here's a second scenario that puts us at risk of abandoning Hesed when we believe the lie that our feelings are paramount. The satiric wonder of the Babylon Bee, as my favorite example of this, forwarded to me by many people a few weeks ago. Uh, here's the satire, at least I, I think this is satire. Um, Portland, Oregon, an influential group of the nation's top progressive evangelical authors, speakers, and bloggers met Wednesday evening to officially affirm their recently drafted doctrine of sola feels, sources confirmed. An alleged draft of the creed, translated by feels alone, was leaked to the press Thursday morning. The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down in our fields or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from our fields, unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by the scriptures, church history, or theologians. Quite simply, sola fields means that all spiritual truths become true once they're filtered through and accepted by our feelings. All the feels, popular author and speaker Jane Hansen told reporters after the meeting. Thus, things that make us feel bad, those are wrong. The things that give us all the happy feels, those are true, right, and good. At least, that's how we feel at the moment. I feel. She noted. Wow. I just can't even. That, that is brilliant. And of course, this is a serious and widespread problem among younger people today. That's likely why the, the bee chose a picture of 20-somethings. As Dr. Gene Twenga noted in a recent study, and I quote, I-Jenners, that's Americans born after 1995, grew up in an era of smaller families and protective parenting. They rode in car seats until they were in middle school, <clears throat> bounced on soft surface playgrounds, and rarely walked home from school. For them, unsurprisingly, safety remains a priority even into early adulthood. The result is a generation whose members are often afraid to talk to one another, especially about anything that might be upsetting or offensive. 
If everyone must be emotionally safe at all times, a free discussion of ideas is inherently dangerous. Opposing viewpoints can't just be argued against. They have to be shut down because merely hearing them can cause harm. Close quote. That's why the, the communal commitment that used to be on college campuses has eroded. Be true to your school has turned into safe spaces. But don't assume that older people are immune to this. They will also jettison Hesed anytime they get caught up in sola feels instead of Scripture. That's why Martin Luther or one of his followers, we're not exactly sure who wrote this hymn, but he wrote a, a brilliant song a number of years ago. Here it is translated into English, feelings come and feelings go, feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the Word of God, not else is worth believing. All God's people said? Now, the third great danger I see for loving Hesed arises when we forget our blessings in the long slog of life. Let's go back to Wayne Watson's watercolored ponies, okay? Here, here's, a, here's another verse. Seems an endless mound of laundry and a stairway laced with toys gives a blow-by-blow -blow reminder of the war that we fight for their well-being, for their greater understanding to impart a holy reverence for the Lord. That is so well said. An endless mound of laundry and a stairway laced with toys. Anyone else ever get tired of the long slog of life this side of heaven? Here, let's do this. Um, raise your hand and keep it up if you ever get weary with commuting. You ever get tired of commuting? Raise your hand if uh, you get tired of laundry. Keep your hands up. Uh, ironing, paying for kids' activities, picking up the house. Raise, you only raise one hand. Just thank you. All right. Now, hands down. We cannot change the pains of this life, but here's what we can do. We can choose to focus on the Messiah and how he empowers us for hesed. I, I can quit worrying so much about whether I'm happy and think more about whether I am faithful. When our kids were tiny, I developed a particular practice to help me do just that. Whenever it was diaper-changing time, which seemed like that happened every 10 minutes, whenever it was diaper-changing time, I would force myself to smile, and I would pick up the child, and I would start singing, Jesus Loves Me. And I would take the kid to wherever we were going to change the diaper. Some years that was wherever there was a somewhat flat surface. And... And I would sing, Jesus Loves Me. Now, I made up tons of different ways to sing. I, I borrowed tunes from everybody in the world to, to change up the, the words. I sang Metallica songs with Jesus Loves Me as the lyrics. <laughs> I noticed that I sang most loudly. I noticed this after a few years. I sang most loudly when it was one of those horrible exploding diapers. It goes all the way up the back and ruins all the clothing. I sang But I still sang the same words because they were always true. And they reminded me about Hesed. All right, let's do this. Close your eyes. Close your eyes real quickly. Think about some horrible part of the slog of your life, that financial struggle that you have, your commute, relational problems. Think about some difficult slog in your life. Now, thinking about that, lay hesed over it. Sing with me. Everybody sing together. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. We are weak, but he is strong. Amen. You can open your eyes. Why do you think Paul commanded us to rejoice always? Because this side of heaven, where there are always thorns and thistles, we need reminded that God is strong in Hesed even when we are weak. Of course, in response to that, we're probably all thinking the same thing, right? In our, in our favorite uh, Barney the Dinosaur accent that I know you use in your head all the time, we're asking, <laughs> practically, how does one go about loving Hesed? Great question. Thank you so much for asking. Here's the answer. Five parts. Very quickly, the answer in five parts. Number one, honor commitments consistently. Keep your word. 
This is so important that nearly every book of the Bible refers to it. Uh, For example, uh, Hosea and Solomon address the negative impact of dishonesty. Look, uh, Hosea chapter 4, verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord, people of Israel. For the Lord has a case against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth, no faithful love, the word is hesed, and no knowledge of God in the land. Proverbs 12, 22, lying lips are detestable to the Lord, but faithful people are His delight. God delights in people who are faithful because He is faithful. Committed people are partnering with God's Spirit so that we grow up to become like our faithful Father. That's why we must honor our commitments. Listen to Hebrew and James, uh, Hebrews and James, their thoughts on this. Hebrews 13, 4, let the marriage bed be held in honor among all. And let, the, let marriage be held not among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. James chapter 5, verse 12. Your yes must be what, everybody? Amen. And your no must be? No. So that you won't fall under judgment. Keep your word. And honor other people who are faithful as well. Yes, this is a world with a disposable mindset, but nonetheless, there are shiny examples of Hesed all around us, and those must be celebrated. You know who we need to be like? We need to be like our sister Phyllis Stuckey, who is not here this Sunday because she's traveling home to go make a big deal, a huge deal out of her parents' wedding anniversary. Look at this. This is what Phyllis and her family did this weekend for, for their, her mom and dad's 70th anniversary. Can they get some applause? 70 years married. 70 years is truly heroic. 70 years is worthy of praise. Speaking of heroic, let me comment on this real quickly. People today are very quick to use the word hero, but I fear we may be damaging the word by overusage. Today, we particularly use the word hero for those who put their lives at risk for others. That is noble indeed. And taking nothing away from our military and our first responders and the like, we should note that it is more heroic to live for someone than merely to die for them. It is more heroic to live for someone than merely to die for them. Honestly, it is easier to go out in a blaze of glory than to keep the Hesed fire burning brightly for years and years and years. We should should keep applauding our our brave military and our other risk takers, but we should spend more time congratulating that person who has remained faithful in marriage for a long time, that person who has quietly served her community for years, that, that one who has kept the Hesed light burning through, through drought and storm and long, slow seasons. This is why one of the awards at our quarterly gathering, our fold gathering, is for good shepherding. Our good shepherding award, look, here's how we describe it. This award recognizes a person or persons who have consistently represented Jesus Christ in the ministry at Frisco Bible Church. Consistently. That's the key to using one's powers for good. How does one go about loving Hesed? Number one, consistently honor commitments. Number two, Eliminate excuses for your disposable attitude. We have so many rationalizations for our selfishness, at least I do. But if I want to get healthier in Hesed, I must grab those red excuses and I must eliminate them. I know none of you have ever done this. But sometimes I would come home really tired and when the kids were being disobedient, I would scream at them. I would yell. Utterly inappropriate. And in those moments, I learned that it was paramount for our family bond. It was paramount for Hesed that I own up to my own sin. Instead of hiding behind the child's disobedience, I would first confess my own. I I would first apologize and remove that handy excuse for treating God's child like an object. 
That applies to so many life situations. Let's quiz ourselves real quickly. I, I got a few people together and I piloted this quiz. I think it's got some merit. Let's go through this true or false to each of these questions. Just answer for yourself. You can scribble it down if you want to. Number one, uh, this is a disposable attitude excuses quiz. Number one, if someone else started it, I am always wholly justified in reacting. True or false? No, don't answer out loud. Thank you, though. <laughs> Number two, when a car cuts me off, I am excused for cursing them. By the way, I know the person who answered true on the first one, I mean, false on the first one, and she would have to answer true on the second. Number three, <laughs> if I don't like ideas, it is rational to silence them for everybody. Number four, true or false, snowflakes deserve rejection and they should have the heat turned up on them. <laughs> Number five, my desires should be followed even when they disagree with Scripture. True or false. And don't answer according to what you know the right answer to be. How do you live? Number six, because people have abused God's call to faithfulness as a means to control others, and they have, they, they, they have, we don't have time to go into it, but people have taken hesed and abused it as a way to, to unrighteously facilitate sin. Because that's happened, I'm justified in rejecting hesed myself. True or false? Number seven, it is helpful to pretend a person's faithful even when he or she isn't. Number eight, showing hesed always means doing whatever the other person wants. That's what hesed is. Please say false, please. Number nine, number nine, there are too many people on the earth. True or false? True or false? Number, one of my kids likes to say some people just need killing. It's from his mother. Number 10. Only those people worthy of respect should be shown faithfulness. True or false? Now, as you can surely tell, the biblical answer to each question is what? False. Demonstrably false. Every one of those is demonstrably biblically false. I hope all of you answered false on every one of those. Sadly, I did not. I did not, and neither did any of the people on whom I tested that quiz. We need help. And that's exactly why we must remember what we learned from Micah. Th this elimination of excuses can only happen in the Messiah. He's the only way, remember, break out. He's the only way we can break out of these patterns and, and live together in mutual hesed. We can break out of the trap of excuses and live and, and love in Christ. We really can. All God's people said? Amen. Amen. Love Hesed by consistently honoring commitments, eliminating excuses. Number three, serve people as a personal ministry to God. Galatians chapter 5 is based on what you and I read in Micah 3. Remember how Micah 3 showed people figuratively devouring each other? Well, Paul built on that in Galatians 5, and, and he said this, For you were called to be free, brothers. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the entire law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. Serve others. Serve instead of devour. Otherwise, your lack of hesed will spread until all are destroyed. Serve others like Jesus. And that means that our service must not become people-centered. It is worship to God. Colossians 3 has the classic summary of this. Read it with me, please. Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you do, do it enthusiastically. Very good. That was enthusiastic. As something done for the Lord and not for men, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. You serve the Lord Christ. Serve people as a ministry of following your Messiah, the Lord. By the way, since we mentioned applause a minute ago, I simply must applaud you in this. 
Let me, let me take just a moment and applaud you. So many times I see you guys time and again, hundreds of you every month serving the Lord by blessing people in so many ways. There's a number of ways you and I need to grow up and get better, but this is one where, frankly, you're hitting home runs a lot. And you know what's cool about you guys? You don't make the mistake of becoming focused just on the humans and their needs, but, but neither do you ignore people. You, you serve them because that's how you worship God. It's very impressive. And I, I have personally been the beneficiary of your service. Not too long ago, our disabled son experienced a terrible crisis through which he fought very bravely. And as I watched at our house, I watched all the elders coming over and rallying at our home and other people coming over to our home. I, I stood there watching people come in and I thought, this is Hesed. This is Hesed. This bunch really does serve each other well out of love for the Lord. And I applaud you. Well done. To continue that kind of love of Hesed, you also must, number four, we must ensure that systems serve God and people, not the other way around. People and God don't serve systems. Systems serve them. This is something Jesus addresses very forcefully. For, for example, each time he cleansed the temple, Jesus was horrified at how the bureaucrats had turned the system into a Byzantine behemoth that just missed the point. Uh, Mark chapter 11 displays the problem. Then he began to teach them, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of thieves. Then the chief priests and scribes heard it and started looking for a way to destroy him. The massive temple system, the, the house, exists for God and mankind. It's for prayer for all nations, but they've turned it into a self-focused money machine. And when Jesus exposes that foolishness, they hate him. It's the same in all industries, right? People whose positions depend on the systems get very angry when you point out that those systems are working upside down. But you've got to point it out anyway. Christians must boldly follow in Jesus' footsteps. In fact, I, I would say this. You cannot be a lover of Hesed unless you ensure that systems serve God and people, not the other way around. I, I wish I had time to develop this, but actually it's probably for the best because I think you'll get more out of reading these, these authors yourself. I highly recommend two 20th century business authors who, who really understood this principle. Peter Senga and Chris Argyris are brilliant in showing how organizational health depends on systems that serve people, not people serving systems. It, it's not the Bible, but Senga and Argyris will not waste your time. Finally, do not confuse Hesed with, with uh, enabling sin. We mustn't equate Hesed with enabling sin. You surely know this, but it can be good to be reminded. Codependency, abuse, false guilt, none of those are real loving kindness. They're the opposite, in fact. The, the great sin chapter in the Bible, Romans chapter 6, speaks very clearly about this. Romans 6.13, do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Do not think that God expects his people to lie and call wrong things right. We, we spoke about this at the beginning of this series, but it's worth saying again. Turning the other cheek does not mean facilitating sin, not yours or anyone else's. There are times thus to remove yourself so that you won't help someone do wrong. That doesn't mean you violate Hesed. You still can be committed to your covenants. You still can be determined to be faithful. But part of your faithfulness, part of your hesed, is that you will not help someone else sin. Got it? All right. How do we love hesed? Look here. Honor commitments consistently. Eliminate excuses for disposable attitudes. Serve people as a personal ministry to God. Ensure systems serve God and people. And do not confuse enabling sin with hesed. Since I'm a preacher, it has to spell something. What does it spell, boys and girls? Hesed. Actually, I don't do that all that often, but I thought that appropriate. It spells hesed. 
This is how you use your considerable powers for good. You love Hesed. And by the way, I think that's worthy of some time in prayer. In fact, why don't we do this? If, if you wish, if you're, if you're dressed where you can, why don't we kneel before the Lord? Let, let's humble ourselves before God. Put yourself, whether you kneel or not, put yourself in a position of humility and let's spend some time praying. Let's go before the Lord right now. Approach the Lord your God right now, who is here, who is with you, and ask him to show where you are not consistently honoring commitments. I know, I know it hurts, but please let the Lord be brutally honest with you for your good. Talk to God about your excuses. Lord, I, I, I have these default excuses for my disposable attitude. Somehow it's always somebody else's fault. I'm so sorry. You know, I bragged about how you as a church serve people as a personal ministry to God, but that doesn't mean you don't need to grow in that area. Some of, some of us, frankly, are not serving. We're not, we're not giving our time. We're not giving our money. We're not really investing ourselves in the Lord and his people. Confess it right now. Or, or if we are giving ourselves, it's because we're, we're serving people. We're not really doing it unto the Lord. And that may be even more dangerous. Think about your business. Think about your home. Think, think about your family, your, your ministry here at church. Ask God to show you how you've got it backwards and you're using people and you're using the Lord to serve a system. Traditionalism has crept in. Please, Lord, expose the areas where we, are, where we are enabling sin and lying. We're calling it faithfulness, but it's actually just helping people do wrong. It's bad parenting. It's bad relationship. And we're covering it with a lie and pretending that it's hesed. Friends, listen. Every single one of us is convicted by that list of the things through which we just prayed. And I want to speak to those of you who are not believers in Jesus Christ. If you are not a Christian, listen. God loves you. Yes, you are trapped and you deserve to be disposed of. But God so loves you that what we just read about that Messiah, Jesus really is fully God, fully human. He really was born in Bethlehem. He died on the cross and rose from the dead because not only did he die for you, he lives for you. And he did so, so that you could break free, so that those who believe in him could have hesed all their days in a relationship with God Almighty. Trust him right now. Believe in Jesus. If you just trusted Jesus as Savior, raise your hand. Raise your hand. I want to rejoice with you. Cool. Excellent. 
Father, I pray for all of us, all of us who are are new or long-term believers, that we will will love Hesed. I, I pray that a year from now, I look back and can see that you have changed me and I am honoring my commitments more consistently. I have eliminated excuses for objectifying people. That I'm serving people I can see effectively as to you. That, that, that I'm seeing systems in their, right, in their right way and I am not enabling sin. And I pray this for myself and all my brothers and sisters. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. All God's people said, Amen.